Well, now as you're seated, everyone, let me invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles in the New Testament, if you would, to John's Gospel, John's Gospel, chapter 8. And on this Independence Day weekend, the celebration of freedom, as you see on your outline, I want to share a message entitled, Free Indeed, Celebrating Our Freedom in Christ and as American citizens. Now, before we jump into the message today, let me just say that all throughout the summer, our chapter a day readings will continue. And so you see on your outline, we're continuing through the latter chapters of the book of Isaiah, just filled with rich encouragement day by day. So if you're not yet a part of that chapter a day journey, let me invite you to pull out your phone, text the word chapter, to 22828, you'll be able to sign up and join in with hundreds and hundreds of us as we are reading and applying God's word together every day. Now, as we begin this morning, I want you to help me, if you would, by reading scripture with me. In just a moment, as you see on your outline, we're going to read from John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. I'm going to read the lighter colored print, and then I want to invite everyone in the room to join me in reading the dark colored print as we read of this episode from the life of our Lord Jesus in John chapter 8. I think you're going to see it goes right to the heart, right to the question of what true freedom really is. So... I'll begin reading verse 31, then you read aloud verse 32, and on we'll go. Here's what God's word says. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever the Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Wow, amen. If the Son, if the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's the first big truth I want you to take away this morning, so write it in on your outline if you would. This passage teaches us that when we trust, when we trust and follow Jesus, he sets us free. Now, in what sense does he set us free? Well, write that in on your outline. This passage teaches us that when we trust and follow Jesus, he sets us free from the guilt that we experience before God 
In other words, when we put our trust in him, the moment we trust in him, he declares us not guilty and he sets us free from the life-controlling power of sin. The life-controlling power of sin. So do you see what the Bible's saying? Jesus is speak, speaking to sons of Abraham, Jewish men, who said, listen, why are you talking about freedom? We have always been free. Now, they were obviously not talking about their political or governmental or civil freedom. Because as you know from reading the scripture, what do we know? The Jewish people had often been under the thumb of foreign nations. They had been enslaved down in Egypt. They were in exile in Babylon. They were threatened and intimidated by Assyria. They were under the thumb of Rome, even as Jesus spoke these words. So he wasn't speaking about political freedom and neither were they, but they were saying, we are, we are free because of our ethnic Jewishness. And Jesus said, oh no, it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than your ethnicity or your religious heritage or your religious background or how or where you were born. Jesus says real freedom comes in a right relationship with God and forgiveness and freedom from the captivity of sin. Let me ask you a question today. Have any of you ever had a sin that, boy, you just had a hard time overcoming? I'm actually going to ask for a show of hands this morning. How many of you all have ever had a, now I'm not going to ask you what it is in a minute. <laughs> But I am going to ask, how many of you have ever had a sin you've had a hard time overcoming? Anybody here that's ever been true? Yeah, and the rest of you are lying. Maybe that's yours right here, you know? Well, yeah, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says sin is really rebellion against God. It's saying, I know better than you know, God. And so I'm going to do it my way. But the fascinating thing the Bible teaches is the more we commit that sin, the deeper its tentacles sink into us and we're held captive. But can I tell you the life transforming truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The truth of the gospel is we are not forgiven and free because of our own strength, our own ingenuity, our own wisdom, our own achievement, our own effort, but we are set free because God in his grace sent his son Jesus to bear our sins, to pay the penalty, and the moment we trust him, in that moment, God says, not guilty. You are free. And then the power of the Holy Spirit within us enables us, enables us to break free a day at a time until one day that sanctification will become glorification in the presence of God and we'll be free from sin forever. Can you say amen to that? That's the heart of salvation. So look on your outline. This is then what the scripture says. It says, live as people who are free. That's what the Bible says to you and me today. Live as people who are free. 
but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. I love the way Donald Carson puts it in his commentary on John's gospel. Listen, he says, true freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but it is the liberty to do what we ought. And it is genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. In other words, God changes our heart so that doing what he wants us to do becomes our heart's desire and in that is true liberty. So the Bible says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then notice, it tells us how to live out that freedom. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So what is that verse beginning to point us toward? At the top of page two of your outline, write it in. After emphasizing the freedom that we have in Christ, the Bible teaches us that as followers of Christ, write it in, we have dual, dual citizenship. We're citizens in at least two ways. Do you see the first of them? The Apostle Paul highlights it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, when he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're in Christ today, we all know that this world is really not our home, right? Ultimately, our home is in heaven with the Lord. And then when he comes to rule in the new heaven and the new earth. So if you're a follower of Christ, you ought to be clear today. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. But you know what else the Bible says? We are citizens. We are citizens of the various countries that we inhabit around the world. So most folks here today, I would suspect, are citizens of the United States. Some would say, Pastor Tim, where does it teach that? Well, let me just give you one example. In Acts chapter 16, verses 37 through 39, do you see it on your outline? This is in the life of the Apostle Paul. He had been preaching and teaching. They had beaten him for that and thrown him into prison. And, and then they came back and they said, listen, they've decided to let you go. Y'all just go on now. But notice what the scripture says, verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that Paul and his companions were Roman citizens. So the magistrates of that city came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. And so do you see what's going on there? Paul was not confused. He was the guy who wrote that our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. But he was never hesitant to acknowledge or to claim the rights and exercise the responsibilities of being a Roman citizen. So we should not be reticent either 
to say we're citizens of heaven, we're citizens of the United States, we have dual citizenship, and we're going to be fully engaged in both. Now, where's that rooted in the teaching of Jesus? It's really in one verse, Matthew 22, 21. Do you see what the Bible says there? It says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. In other words, the Bible says, give to those who are in authority over you in government the things that they deserve because of their office. You know, if we were to turn over and look at Romans chapter 13 this morning, this is the kind of language that's there. It says things like this. It says, be subject to those in authority over you. It actually says in the Bible, pay taxes. You want to say amen to that this morning? <laughs> now, it doesn't say you ought to pay more than you have to. And it doesn't say you ought not take every opportunity that the law affords, but it says you ought to pay your taxes. It's in the Bible. Be subject. Pay taxes. And then listen. It has words like these. Respect those in authority over you. Honor those in authority over you. Church family, in this moment in our nation's history, we have the opportunity through our example to set the bar high and to say our ultimate allegiance is to God. And he expects us to be subject, to pay taxes, to respect, and to honor. Why? Because he has commissioned and commanded every governmental authority to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And without good government, there is anarchy and anarchy does not please God and it's not good for us. And so you see, we ought to be people who are in favor of the rule of law. We ought to respect and honor law enforcement officers. We ought to, we ought to say to those who are district attorneys and others in, and judges, listen, we honor you and respect you because you have a God-given role in our society. Please fulfill that role. We pray for you and we want you to do that. Now, we ought not be confused just at this point because some would say, well, isn't it great that we live in a country where the government gives us all of these rights and all of these freedoms. Is that a good way to put that? Is it a good thing to say? It's a good thing that we live in this country where the government gives us these rights. The answer is no, that's not a good way to put it. In fact, on July 4th, 1776, in the Declaration of Independence, do you remember these words? 
It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So who gives us our rights, God or government? What is the answer? God does. You say, well, what's the role of government then? The very next line in the declaration says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So do you see, really important as citizens of heaven and citizens of the United States that we think clearly about our dual citizenship. That leads to a third thought this morning. Would you write it in on your outline? And that is, as Christian citizens, one of the ways we're to be salt and light. Jesus said, as followers of his, we ought to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. One of the ways we're to be salt and light is by voting our values, by voting our values. Now, I've put on your outline and a couple of key dates. And by the way, you can always get to this outline by going to the Ingleside app and tapping on the notes page and you'll see the hyperlinks there in the whole business. You all know we're in an election year, right? We're gonna have a general election in the fall. The last day to register is Tuesday, October the 11th, and election day is on Tuesday, November 8th. Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you all are registered to vote? Can I see your hand if you're registered to vote? Wow, the overwhelming majority of you. Some of you, if you're not sure whether you're registered to vote, I've put a link on there where you can go. Click, put in your name, birthday, you can find out. And if you need to make any changes, you can do that so that you'll be ready to vote when November 8th rolls around. And when we vote, we carry our values, our biblical perspectives into the voting booth with us. So as you vote, let me suggest a five-pronged matrix that all of us who follow Christ ought to consider. It's number four on your outline. All these words begin with P, it'll be easy to remember them. As we consider for whom we will vote, we should evaluate carefully and prayerfully, number one, the person. So we ought to evaluate the candidate. We ought to say, does this candidate have a track record of integrity and skill and character and competence? Where's that in the Bible? Psalm 78, 72 says, David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands, he led them. Don't you agree with God's word that it would be wonderful if candidates for office had integrity of heart and skillful hands as they lead us? Boy, that'd be a good thing. Second thing you evaluate, write it in, is not only the person, but their partners. Their partners. 
Nobody ever runs for office alone. So we should ask, with whom does this candidate associate? Who are his supporters? Who are his allies? Who are his closest confidants? Who are those who are helping fund his or her campaign? You say, why is that important? Well, the biblical principle is Proverbs 13:20. Do you see it? It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Wouldn't it be great if we could elect people who are not companions of fools? Wouldn't that be a great thing? <laughs> Look at number three. We should evaluate not only the person, not only the partners, but we should evaluate their party. Their party. Now in the United States in the modern era, there are two political parties and we should ask, our two primary political parties, and we should ask with which political party does this candidate identify and what are the stated platform positions of that party? Both of the national, two prominent national parties will show you their platform online. I've given you links to them. Then after you evaluate the person, their partners, their party, Number four, you should evaluate their policies. You should say, what actions has this candidate taken or promised to take on a variety of public policy issues? Jesus said, you recognize anyone by their fruits, by what their life actually has produced and is producing. As you evaluate one's policies, use that as a guide. And then at least at the presidential level, number five, we should evaluate their picks. Their picks. We should ask, what is the judicial philosophy guiding the nominations this candidate has made or will make to be judges and justices of the Supreme Court? And not only does this impact our vote for president, it impacts our vote for senators because United States senators in their role of advice and consent must approve those presidential nominees to the federal courts and to the Supreme Court. And so perhaps, just think with me, how long, how long do we elect a president for? What's the president's term? Four years. And if they can get reelected, it'd be eight years, right? But now when they pick someone to serve, say, on the Supreme Court, in the entire history of the Supreme Court, do you know what the average tenure is? 16 years. And the longest tenure was 36 years from 1939 to 1975, Justice William O. Douglas. And if you think about the recent court, Stephen Breyer, who just retired, served 28 years. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, before her death, served 27 years. And Justice Clarence Thomas, who currently serves on the court, has served 31 years. So in our system of government, as you evaluate who you will cast your vote for, I want to suggest to you that while all five factors are important, that the policies that out, will outlive that particular candidate and their judicial picks that will long outlive that particular candidate 
ought to be great considerations. So, that leads to observation number five today. And that is, as followers of Christ, I believe it's wholly appropriate today that we should give thanks to God today for some of the recent decisions of the Supreme Court of the United States. And may I highlight just two today. The first one was a decision in just the last few days to protect, write it in on your outline, to protect religious liberty. This decision was handed down on June 27, 2022. It was a case called Kennedy v. Bremerton School District. Bremerton is in the Seattle, Washington area. And Kennedy is a coach named Joseph Kennedy. And Joseph Kennedy lost his job as a high school football coach in the Bremerton School District after he knelt at midfield after games to offer a quiet personal prayer. The school district told him he could not do that. The district court agreed. So did an appellate court. It made its way seven years later to the Supreme Court. And thanks be unto God that this last week the Supreme Court said, do you see it on your outline? The free exercise and free speech clauses of the First Amendment protect an individual engaging in personal religious observance from government reprisal. The Constitution neither mandates nor permits the government to suppress such religious expression. A bit later, it went on to say, respect for religious expressions is indispensable to life in a free and diverse republic. Here, a government entity sought to punish an individual for engaging in a personal religious observance based on a mistaken view that it has a duty to suppress religious observances even as it allows comparable secular speech. It concludes the Constitution neither mandates nor tolerates that kind of discrimination. Mr. Kennedy is entitled to summary judgment on his religious exercise and free speech claims. I want to say thank the Lord for that. And so brothers and sisters, what that means is the Supreme Court has reaffirmed the First Amendment to the Constitution that says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And so what I want to say is don't take your faith into the closet behind closed doors. Instead, Live your faith in Jesus in the public square in a winsome way that is salt and light to a world that needs to know and follow Jesus. There's one other case that I think we should say thanks to the Lord for today and write it in on your outline. 
It was a case to protect the life of the unborn. It's a case known as Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization. And it was related to a law in Mississippi, the Mississippi Gestational Age Act, that said, except in a medical emergency or in the case of a severe fetal abnormality, a person shall not intentionally or knowing, knowingly perform or induce an abortion of an unborn human being if the probable gestational age of the unborn human being has been determined to be greater than 15 weeks. The court considered this case carefully and this was its conclusion. Do you see on the outline? The court ruled the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe, that is Roe v. Wade, and Casey, that is Planned Parenthood v. Casey, are overruled. And the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. They concluded, abortion presents a profound moral question. We all acknowledge that. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Rowan Casey arrogated that authority. So the court overrules those decisions and returns that authority to the people and to their elected representatives. We ought to thank God for that ruling today. So how shall we conclude today? As followers of Christ, given the Dobbs decision of the Supreme Court, here are three things as we wrap up. Number one, we should continue to vote to protect and defend innocent human life from the moment of conception to natural death at every level of government. So this fall, when you go to the polls, vote for life. Second thing we should do is now that these decisions are being made at the state level, it's more important than ever, church family, that we should support life-affirming ministries, like in our own community, caring solutions that ministers to those facing unplanned pregnancies, not only on the way up to the birth of their child, but in the days following as well. We should support life-affirming ministries like Covenant Care, a Christian adoption agency, and there are others. And like national organizations, like Focus on the Family that have long stood for life. And some of us, we ought to get involved in the foster care system. Some of us, we ought to consider adopting a child that needs a home. You see, beyond the legal arguments, now's the time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to step up with love and compassion for every child. 
You see, to be pro-life, it means to be pro-baby, pro-mom, pro-dad, pro-marriage, pro-family, pro-human flourishing at every level, all for the glory of God. And last of all, church family that I love, the way we relate in the days that follow is gonna be so critical. And so I wanna encourage you brothers and sisters to join me in asking the Lord to help us relate with kindness and conviction, with kindness and conviction to everyone even as we advocate for life and bear witness to the forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus offers to all who repent and believe. Because you see, forgiveness really is available for everyone. Everyone who turns from sin and puts their trust in Christ and follows him with their whole heart. As we wrap up today, I want to remind you that as important as the political involvement in our citizenship of the country is, and it's important, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven and our main message is the gospel. And what is the gospel? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You've never trusted the Lord Jesus today. I hope you will. And I hope you'll experience forgiveness, the Holy Spirit's power to break the power of sin in your life and begin to walk in the joy and freedom that Jesus gives to us all. We're gonna pray together and after that, we'll sing our concluding song. Join me as now as we pray. Father, thanks so much today for allowing us to celebrate freedom. We're free indeed in Christ, and we thank you for every liberty in our country. Help us be grateful people. Help us be gospel people. And I pray that you would help us be courageous and winsome and wise people as we follow you. Lord, command your angels concerning us. And I want to pray, Lord, for, I want to pray for every woman who finds herself with a crisis pregnancy. I pray, oh Lord, that you would encourage her and strengthen her and help her to choose life. Lord, I pray for husbands or boyfriends who might be encouraging that life to be taken. I pray you would change their mind and change their heart. Pray for some who are listening, who in days past may have even had or encouraged an abortion. I pray today that they would lay that burden down and ask your forgiveness and find freedom even as they begin to advocate for life. Lord, I want to pray that you'd help us all to walk in humility and love and joy before you as we follow Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.